Hey everyone, got a fantastic episode for you today. My guest is Tucker Seville, who you would know from her Instagram page, Tuckerbee. Now in this episode, we're talking about raising queens in the comfort hive. For those of you who don't know what a comfort hive is, it's a variation on the ware hive created by Sam Comfort. So basically you've got a ware hive, but it doesn't have frames and instead the bees build their comb on skewers that hang down in a six inch box. Now, it's a really, really cool looking hive. If you haven't seen one, I, I urge you to jump on Instagram, check it out, and I hope you enjoy this episode today. Tucker Seville, welcome to the show. Thank you. Now, you use a style of hive that's called the Comfort Hive. Do you want to tell us what it's like to raise queens in that style of hive? Sure. Uh, it's awesome. I love it. It's a really nice size. The About two of those comfort hive boxes. I am not super familiar with metric, but in inches, they're six inches deep each. So that makes them about a foot, um, which I would say, how, what is that in relation to meters? Um, uh, about three feet in a meter, almost, I think. <laughs> I'm not sure, so sorry. It's a third of, yeah, so I think you're correct. So it's a third of a, third of a meter deep. It basically turns out to be the volume of a five-frame Langstroth nuke box if you have two of them if you have two of them stacked on top of each other. And it's nice that they're split vertically because it allows you to crack the boxes apart and lift the entire nest and view it from the bottom. And you can also catch the queen that way by smoking them down if you're having trouble removing combs. So it's a it's a neat it's a neat uh, versatile way to be able to inspect the bees quickly, and it's really very little work. I love it. I like running them too deep because you don't have to feed them as much. I've also run them just one box deep, and it does work. And I did make twice as much money with half the volume of bees. But I also had to invest a lot of time and energy in feeding, and I found that tiresome. So I prefer the larger ones. Right. So you're using two boxes on top of each other, and with that, you don't have to supplement feed. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say I don't ever have to, but it's it's maybe a couple times a year that I take the feeders out in an emergency because I split a little late or something like that. It's not... It's not a general part of the plan anymore now that they're a little bigger. Right. So for listeners that haven't seen these hives before, they're, they're kind of like a wire hive. Is that right? Yeah. I would say there's a strong resemblance. They're a little bit smaller. They're a little bit narrower mm. and also a little bit shallower. Uh, and so they're, you know, I like that about them personally. There are no frames whatsoever, which makes it almost feel as if you're handling the bees wild nest directly and you are able to pull the frames out as long as you're working them regularly i like to use the 10 inch serrated bread knife to do that cut the attachments mm. on the side if they're a little bit at the the long narrow italian hive tool is also very helpful especially if you sharpen the end um, okay excellent yeah so when you're raising cells inside the cupboard hive how do you supplement feed do you use a frame feeder 
I don't use any frame feeders. I I try to avoid plastic, but it's kind of difficult. I I do use plastic feeders. They're uh, quart-sized plastic deli containers. So again, with the measurements, I apologize. I really should learn the metric system. Um, but uh, the, it's like a the size that you would get a soup from a takeout restaurant. It's pretty okay. small. It's a pretty small quantity of feed, but you can fit up to five of them inside an empty box on top of the colony. And I use this uh, shiny bubble wrap-like heating and cooling insulation material that we call Reflectex. Yes. Yep. And that's pretty cool because I can cut holes in it and just peel back a little opening for the feeder so that the bees can better defend against ants or anything else that might get into that box and also be interested in the feed. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. Do some people call them a rapid feeder? Is it the same thing? Yeah, kind of. I just basically take the, the plastic container and I use a pointy stick or a nail or something to poke maybe six small holes in it. And then I turn it upside down and I wait for the dripping to stop. And if the dripping doesn't stop oh, yeah. within a few seconds, then I know that the holes are too big and it isn't sealing. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I just wait for that. And then, you know, if I see any large bubbles moving, maybe the container is cracked. Like I do a spot check on each one because if you, if you spill the feed, it could be, you know, could be problematic. There's a lot of pests here. Uh, mm-hmm. Now you've done some cell raising for Michael Palmer and he's quite famous for using this very strong cell builder, the style of brother Adam. How does that compare to what you're doing currently? <laughs> it's kind of the polar opposite, but also the same thing. Um, it's, it's a really fun, it's actually a really fun study for me. I found it fascinating the whole time that I was, was working for Sam comfort of anarchy berries. And then also uh, at times concurrently from Mike Palmer. Uh, and I got to bounce back and forth between the operations and see the differences. And that what I found was that it's about the, you know, the thing that everyone says, it's about the ratio of nurse bees. You want a whole bunch of nurse bees that are exactly the right age concentrated in one place. And the thing that I like about Mike Palmer's method is that it really gets after that in a very detailed way because of the way that he banks brood for emerging brood for 10 days before the graft. So those baby bees are not only emerged, but their hypopharyngeal glands are like ready to go. They're ready to feed. Like they're, they, they need to feed babies. And so they're really primed. Um, and so I found it was more about the tactic than the box. Uh, I've raised beautiful cells, you know, in, in about the same amount per volume of bees with a box as small as a single comfort hive box. I've raised up to 22 nice cells in a box that small. And then I've also seen Mike raise incredibly nice cells. I will say Mike consistently raises larger, better quality cells than me. But I think that's often because I, while I like to follow a method I'm constantly working with whatever I have in a given moment because this isn't the only thing that I do. I So I'll do queen raising, but I won't always be on a weekly schedule. Right. So you're not doing the 10-day preparation method that Mike Palmer uses. I am. I, I love to do that, and it's my preferred method, but it's a little bit tricky when you're treatment-free because you're also harvesting mites in the brood. Right. Okay. And you're so essentially with, like mite bombing yourself, builder. You just want to be prepared for the fallout from that, you know? 
Right. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. So, um, yeah, we just got Varroa in Australia last year. So I'm not, and I haven't got it in my state yet. So I'm not really sure mm. how that affects cell builders yet. Something for me to learn. Um, so you're actually, are you bringing frames of brood from different uh, hives and in, in putting them into a cell builder with the cupboard style hive as well? Yeah, I often do that, but not always. I mean, to be honest, I would just as soon use a swarm. You know, catch a swarm, okay. take their queen, keep them in a box overnight, shake them into it. You know, I'll use whatever's whatever's available, and I'll frequently just I, I frequently won't reunite them with the queen because okay. yep. because I might you know while it makes them a little grumpier and maybe I lose a tiny amount of cell size. Uh, maybe I may not if they have enough nutrition, it's the right time of year, you know, but if I do, then it's, it's just, it's not a huge deal. You know, mm-hmm. I'd ra- I don't know. I'd rather, um, I'd rather focus my resources and I don't always graft, you know, I'll graft when I, when I need to, I'll graft when I'll graft at least every other cycle of queen catch, especially in Florida. Uh, I also sometimes buy cells from local producers. Yeah, that's interesting because and, uh, for listeners who haven't seen Tucker's uh, Instagram, it's really fantastic. But you often, the queens that you have there, they're all, they always look different. You know, you've got some yeah. dark ones, you've got some lighter ones. So that's really interesting. So you're not selecting for color. I can't really. I mean, the only color that I could possibly select for, and it's also too late because I've already been saturating the area with carnelians for a number of years, and so have my friends. Uh, is Italians. I mean, it's the predominant bee here are Kona Italians, and they're and they're a great bee for California. And I'm surrounded by people who come here for for California, and that's why I'm in kind of a kind of a strange niche here because there really isn't room for bigger hives. I couldn't be running the operation that I do in this area without you know, big trucks and more professional clout. I'm kind of occupying a space that's around the edge of the commercial territory for California almonds. Right. Oh, that's interesting. So what traits are you actually selecting for then? I mean, when I had bees in the north, I definitely did a lot of selecting for survival in the north without treatment. But yeah. just, the, just the fact that I don't treat, it's like I'm not – to be very honest with you, I'm not really selecting. I'm not really a breeder. I'm a producer of queens. And yet, while I did experiment with bees that survived for multiple winters in the north, I never accrued enough time actually in that place to to characterize myself as a breeder in that sense. So I, while I do select and will graft from within my own stock, I primarily acquire breeders from other people who have already done that work whether they're inseminated okay, yeah. or, or open-mated. Mm. Excellent. Yeah. Now, when you're using the Comfort Hive, so this is this Ware style, mm-hmm. you're putting mating nukes, you're stacking them one on top of each other. Is that correct? I actually prefer not to do that. I will do that if a yard has limited space and I need to hit a certain number for an agricultural exemption or some other type of deal that I have with that person. I'll stack them. I'll also stack them if I run out of space in a yard and I'm prepping to populate a new yard. And I'll just stack them double until the yard is full and then take the whole layer with me. Okay. Do you find that they're not as effective when they're stacked? You know, sometimes there's some misses, especially in the first round, especially if I'm splitting within the yard, which I now always 
which I now always do because I don't want to transfer things around from yard to yard because there's a lot of mysterious things that happen here in relation to bee illness and transmission and pesticides. And I just decided that it would be better to avoid moving bees between yards unless I absolutely have to. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying yeah. to I'm trying that, but it means I'm making a lot of walkaway splits, quote unquote. So yeah. I'll take I'll take a whole colony with the queen and all that's strong, and I'll move it to a new location on the other side of the yard, on top of another hive with its entrance facing 90 degrees from the one on the bottom. So it's not in the same direction. And they do seem yeah. to be able to find those entrances pretty well, but they might miss the first flight until they get accustomed to the yard looking like that. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Is it is it very difficult to move a comfort-style hive? It's not. It's extremely easy. Every single one of mine, I can't say this for Sam, I think some of his have solid bottoms, but all of mine have screen bottoms. So at any mm-hmm. time, I can take foam, plug the holes, pop them on a rim so to ventilate, and I can fit 48 uh, uh, double-high boxes into a minivan. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. All right, so... When um, when you are when you're using this style of hive, is it so you're using these skewers on the top, right? Yeah, yeah. And when when the boxes are stacked, is what stops the the hives for sorry the the frames from connecting to the ones underneath? Nothing. They do connect, and so okay. I really I really only ran them like that in New York because I wanted yes. a I wanted a to produce honey. And I wanted B to have larger colonies to go into winter. And what I found was that I did have to cut them apart with said 10-inch serrated bread knife. Okay, right. Now that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting hive. So for the listeners here who haven't seen one before, there's a really great video online from Sam Comfort. He's the guy who created the the, the style of hive that we're talking about. And he, he has a really good video on YouTube showing how he uses them as mating nukes. And I think he does use a solid bottom board. I think I remember seeing. He's He's gone through a lot of iterations. It's been so many, like there are, there's a lot of, he's done them in quarters. So like single box cut in half with a plastic or metal divider that slides in and out that brings them down to about the size of a styrofoam mini. And he's stacked. He, and I've seen him stack those as quads in a pile. So you've got two-way one, and then second layer is 90 degrees to that also two-way. And the mating was quite good on that as well, I will say, but we painted the tiles with spray paint. Okay. Oh, that's interesting. So as they could orient themselves a little bit better coming back. Yep. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, cool. So now you're doing some classes um, with queen catching and grafting. Is that true? I am. Yeah. How's that going? It's great. I love it. Um, I, it's, it's really one of my favorite things to do. It's, I don't like to organize them. So I prefer to be, have someone else host and create the workshop and then call me in for like a flat rate for a couple of days. It's really nice if they have bees too, that they can provide or any type of equipment. I do love to host them in my home yard here, but I don't currently have a great spot for that in Florida because my teaching yard sold. So uh, okay. I'm doing a lot, I'm doing a lot more collaborating and, and going into other people's spaces and working with their bees and teaching that way. And that's been really interesting because working with what you have, I think is one of the most valuable skills that one can have as a queen raiser, especially if you're starting out in your backyard, because almost nothing is going to make sense because they'll be talking on a commercial scale 
and what and mm-hmm. what someone who's just doing this on a smaller scale needs is a completely different set of skills. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Tucker. Uh, where can we find you online? You can find me on Instagram, probably most often. And that's at mm-hmm. tucka.b. It's T-U-C-K-A dot B-E-E. And then on mm-hmm. Facebook, it's Tucka B or Tucka B LLC. Excellent. Yeah. And I really urge the listeners to have a look at uh, Instagram, Tucker B. On Instagram, it's a fantastic Instagram page and always really fantastic videos. And thanks a lot for all that content that you put out. Yeah, and do check out Sam at Anarchy Apiaries too because he's really the mastermind behind all this and he's got a lot of great ideas. Excellent. All right, well, Tucker, thanks a lot for being on the show today. Thank you for having me.